Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the DC3Cast. I am one of your hosts, Zach Wilkerson, and tonight I am joined by the one and only Vince Ostrowski. Hi. And uh, playing the role of Brian Salvatore tonight, we have um, Multiversity Wonderkin, Greg <laughs> Matasevich. How are you doing, Greg? <laughs> I'm doing good. Oh, Wonderkin. Oh. oh. I'm just going to bask in that for a second. Oh. The youngest member of Multiversity Comics. I don't know. If... Yeah, if you're going in the order, we're going to go in things tonight backwards. Yeah, I am. The one... yeah. Although this, is, I am. this is backwards night on DC3Cast. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. doing reverse alphabetical order. Um, Batman is the best book we read this week. Um <laughs> Everything's topsy turvy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bizarro, you might say. Yeah. Bizarro, even oh. twisted. Even. <laughs> oh. oh. Um. So yeah, we are gonna jump into the books. Um. First, was there any news or anything from this week? I that we should mention. I I can't think of anything off the top of my head. No, I. Yeah. Um. They're releasing the Snyder Cut. They're not. I'm okay. kidding. No. <laughs> um, there were some new Pokemon games. No. Um, well, okay, we can go ahead and just jump right into the books. Um, up first, we have uh, Young Justice number three, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Patrick Gleason, and... The wonderful Victor, Victor, <laughs> Victor, Victor Bogdanovic. <laughs> oh, Victor Bogdanovic. Um, Vince, why don't you start on your thoughts for this issue? Uh, well, so finally we, I, I say finally, but really it's, it's only issue three, right? But finally we get a little bit of resolution on the whole, uh, Connor Kent back in the back in the DCU stuff and um it was as delightful as I would hope. Uh Khan's one of my favorites and it's really nice to have him back. Um I thought the so the the sort of bit where he dips uh back into high school and then and then back out again like just leaves class in the middle of class saying like uh yeah, there's way more important things for me to be doing than sitting in class right now was a, a pretty strong character moment. Um, yeah. The fashion is a 10 out of 10. <laughs> the fashion is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was funny. I thought it was uh, Victor Bogdanovic's art plays really well alongside Gleason's. Uh, they're not They're not similar by any means, but I think, you know... Um, they're in that same wheelhouse of being very like classic, uh, Cape comic sort of structure, but a little playful too. Um, yeah, really good stuff. Uh, um, Greg, have you been, how much of Bendis's stuff have you been reading here at DC? Um, yeah, I, I want to say a fair amount, maybe, um, nothing like consistently, but well, let me rephrase that. 
I haven't been like reading every issue of each of his series, but I seem to be like touching all of the bases, you know, like a little bit here, sure. a little bit there. So like cover, I liked um, his action comics run. I've really liked Young Justice. I liked. I'm trying to think of maybe. So like most of his most of his stuff. Um, and, you know, I dug the first issue of Young Justice uh, and the second issue and the I, I really like this issue. Um, it's weird that, like, like you said in the opening, we're just getting we're sort of just getting around to getting back to Connor being back. And this is like the third issue. But I don't feel like it's been padded or slow. You know, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and so in my notes, like, especially that first, I guess it's the first page. Um, is it the first? Yeah. Like that, that panel sort of down at the bottom, the, the, um, Bart hugging Connor just, oh, that was uh, such a good, good panel in my notes here. I've got, um, that this should feel really, this issue should feel really decompressed, but that the heart and the art carry it. And I feel like that's what I think about when I when I think about like Young Justice like it's super beautiful because Patrick Gleason man that guy just keeps getting better and better mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Victor Bogdanovich um, is somebody I've grown to like more the more that I've seen of his stuff because like I first saw his stuff I guess on New Superman yeah. and I was not feeling, maybe it was just the way it was inked, but like a lot of the, a lot of like the, th I don't know necessarily how to say this other than like the thin inking, like the, like the very, very thin sort of line stuff. I don't, mm, my brain is almost like, eh. I, I, don't, I don't seem to, I, I seem to like a heavier ink, I guess is sort of what I'm, if, if I could somehow put a description on why my brain is maybe telling me I like some things more than others. Um, but the more I've seen his stuff, it seems to get sort of fuller and fuller. I know he's not inking himself, um, but maybe it's just some sort of transition. Anyway, what long way of saying uh, the more that I see him, I'm enjoying him. And so seeing him here uh, in comparison with Gleason, like you're going to probably come up a little short next to Gleason, but he, I mean, he really pulls his, you know, he pulls his weight and I think Bendis does a really good job and sort of always does this as much as possible of when there's when there's two or more artists on a particular book, he'll try and structure the story, even if it's just for that issue, in a way that allows for there to be a difference in art style. So whether it's a flashback or a dream sequence or, or some sort of, you know, some sort of thing, it's not it doesn't take you out of the story to have two, in, in some case, disparate artists, you know, working. So here you've got uh, Gleason doing the, you know, the gem world, sort of the, the main stuff. And then you have Bogdanovich doing the flashback and, Bog and Bogdanovich uh, in his flashback stuff, it feels much more like new 52 type of, or even, well, not New 52, sort of like, I guess a little before that, like earlier, it feels very much like he's going to a different place sort of artistically than where, you know, the where Gleason is. And it works. It really, really works. Um, so, yeah. It's just that, man, that first, the hug. I just, <laughs> oh, it got me. 
It 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 did. I was just like, oh, and even <laughs> and so 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 Gleason nails it artistically, and then even and then Bendis with the dialogue. Uh, so like they're hugging, uh, you know, a beat panel, and then Connor is like, hey, let me get a look at you, and Bart's like, nope, busy. It's like I'm not done <laughs> hugging yet, and you're just like, oh, it's like it's it's nice. So yeah, so yeah. Uh, I dug it. Awesome, Zach. Yeah. How about you? Anything to add? Um, so it's funny that you you mentioned that like the the Bogdanovic section really does like take it back. You, you said like New Fifty Two time, and then like maybe earlier. The yeah. thing I thought of like right away, and this is I feel like a DC three cliche, um, but just like particularly with that look and something about the page itself, I like went straight to uh, Jeff Lemire. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, I think it was. Pierre Gallo, who did most of that run, mm-hmm. that like right pre New Fifty Two Superboy run, mm-hmm. um, which was just really nice. And yeah, I I really liked how this issue was uh, framed. Um, the art throughout was great. Um, the twist that Connor has been in Gym World for a really long time and has a wife and kid now and the kid has that little spit curl. Um <laughs> it's um yeah, this is just really good. This feels this just feels really different to me. This this feels more in line with like kind of strangely like early 2000s dc comics mm-hmm. um kind of in that like 2000 to 2005 range um which was actually like kind of the sweet spot for a lot of these characters mm-hmm. um yeah no i i really like this issue a lot yeah um yeah. so now that i've got I'm just sort of scrolling through the pdf here looking at some of the bogdanovich pages um uh i think what he was or what uh, what was responding for me in there is that again not new 52 but sort of going back to like the todd knock stuff uh-huh. or like the early young justice sort of stuff where the it's a little more cartoony uh and and stuff but then we've got him and the we've got connor in the uh you know the jeans and the black you know the black tee uh which again is a really sort of iconic um look it's yeah, it's pulling, it's knowing sort of what buttons to push for like a shorthand of like, okay, this is going to, you know, this is going to evoke this particular time. Uh, so without having to sort of maybe have more exposition of like, okay, this is taking place during a certain point in this character's history, you just sort of pick up visual cues and sort of have that kind of inform as much as sort of what, you know, where the, sort of the character is like, okay, he's still in high school. So, you know like that sort of thing is going on. And then of course we get back to, to gym world. And then, you know, the last three or four pages are basically like, you know, the Bendis, not cliche, but you know, the sort of not entirely static shock, but it's basically looking at a manhole. And so it's like very dialogue <laughs> heavy, you know, but it like, but it works. And so I don't know if it's, you know, as much, like it's working because we haven't seen him do that with these particular characters as much as we had seen him over at Marvel doing maybe this, maybe something similar, but (laughs) like, like it works. It totally works. 
We call yeah. that being on his bullshit. When yeah. We, yes, <laughs> we do. Yes, yeah, yeah. but so, sometimes, sometimes affectionately. So yeah, and and yeah. it's not a like it's not a thing that doesn't work. Like it works, you know. And even with certain characters, you can keep going back to something if it continues to work. Here, he's not necessarily going back to it as much with these characters because he just hasn't had very much time with them. Um, and maybe I've just been away from him, you know, long enough to to, to sort of uh, forgiven, you know, a bunch of stuff. But uh, uh, but yeah, the you know, and it's not and it, and in his defense or in Gleason's defense as well, uh, it's not a uh, you know one panel statted thirty two times or whatever. We see you know a little some different angles, some different you know some different stuff. Uh, so it's all it's all good, and then the dialogue uh, is uh, you know dialogue's good. Teen Green Lantern, Teen Lantern, Teen Lantern, Teen Lantern, Teen Lantern. Teen Lantern's good. Yeah, yeah. Bendis is good. Um, <laughs> he he's just good again. Yeah, uh, he has a, oh, a, a no. Yeah. Um, well, anything else on Young Justice? I don't think so. Okay. Well, why don't we take a quick little trip to trip to Jim World and see if we can bring back our own Connor Kent. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. All right, we're back from Jim World, and we didn't find Connor Kent, but we did find the doppelganger to Greg. <laughs> it's it's oh. the other Brian Salvatore. Is this the good Brian Salvatore or the bad Brian Salvatore? I don't know. Greg was the good Brian Salvatore tonight. Uh, so, I'm the, so I'm the bad Brian Salvatore. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, you do have it's the facial fun. hair, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, the mirror. You're the mirror universe. Uh, you know, Brian Salvatore. Yeah. There you go. That works. I like it. Uh, so we're all assembled now. Are Should you I doing... say what happened, or am I just going to keep this? Mystery? Do you want to? I don't. I fell asleep. I was. I took. I took. I took the elusive evening nap and fucked it all up. And uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I'm back now. So. <laughs> he read all those comics and just couldn't help it. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I am. Uh, I am very sorry, but I am here and I am excited to talk about these comics. Um, right. let, let me just see what I missed. Uh, Connor Kent fucks now. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that's it. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. I'll text you later, Nancy. Yeah. Was it Nancy? I don't remember. Um. But yeah, you just have well, on the brain. huh? You just have Sluggo on the brain. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no. From the uh, he was leaving high school. It's like yeah, he was uh, leaving high school. Yeah, yeah. That was that was actually an issue. Oh yeah, 
Uh, Young Love. All right. Justice League 19, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. He's back. Um, Greg. Yes. Are you, have you been keeping up with Justice League or did you just hop in for this issue? Uh, I've, I've been keeping up with it in chunks. Uh, I read this issue and then I was going to go back and sort of reread everything. Uh, I read Metal, I read No Justice, and that's about as far as I as I got. So those things are much fresher in my head. Uh, the stuff of actual Justice League is a little is a little cloudier. Okay. Um, but uh, but like I like the issue. Um, I liked a bunch of things about what Snyder and company have been, you know, have been doing. Um, this particular issue I thought was good. Uh, do you want me to like go into specific? Go for it. Yeah, go well, for I, it. I didn't know if like somebody else wanted to jump in and then we, okay. Um, so yeah, so, you know, Jimenez, uh, I mean, when this book launched, it was launched with, you know, Jim Chung and then it was going to be, you know, sort of Jimenez kind of filling in. I felt like that's sort of how it was sold. Um, but... Um, that was a bill of goods, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I knew that, and I'm totally okay with it because I've been around the block enough to know Jim Chung is not going to do an ongoing series. Uh, his stuff still looks great. Uh, you know, Jimenez had seen him from Super Sons, and he, you know, really steps up to the plate when he does his Justice League stuff. I think the last issue of Justice League I talked about on robots might have been was it thirteen? It was like it was it was right before so apparently I only read the issues that are right before the big crossovers. So okay. like I read the issue I think it was before the Drowned World or Drowned Earth. Whatever. Where they had like Jimenez and they were basically setting up the not setting up the Hall of Justice, but like Wonder Woman was helping or Aquaman was helping Wonder Woman set up her room in the Hall of Justice. Yes, so they're yes, talking, yes, yes. And, and we get to see Jimenez, you know, Snyder slash Jimenez showing everybody else's room, you know? Mm -hmm. And you have, like, you know, Clark's room is like it's a desk so he can do his reporting stuff, and there's a floating bed for crypto. And I'm like, oh, that's that, that, you know, little bits, little bits like that, um, I thought were. You know, we're really, really good melding of Snyder knowing these characters and Jimenez being able to just execute the shit out of this stuff. So we've got uh, Mixius Pitlick show up this, uh, you know, this issue. So uh, Jimenez really gets to do some, some, let's say, bendy, wonky sort of sort of stuff with uh, sort of Metropolis in chaos, buildings eating buildings. Uh, and and stuff, but after you know a couple of pages of that, it's not just hey you know fifth dimensional imp shows up. It ties into this ongoing thing of you know the league uh, figuring out like what's going on with the multiverse and you know them like using Mixius Pitlick instead of him just sort of like randomly showing up for you know it's been ninety days I guess whatever the his deal is. Um, so I like how everything kind of ties into this overall 
you know, this overall narrative. Um, and it's just a, it's a book that works. It has like a couple of different things going on from sort of overarching things to even smaller, like the little jokes, the little word balloon jokes, the, uh, you know, earlier in the, the beginning of the issue when Clark's talking to Perry and, and, uh, you know, he's like Batman pads a suit <laughs> with the, you know, the muscles. And then later on, uh, Batman, uh, Bruce is like, I don't pad my suit. And Clark's like, I know Bruce. Yeah. Like that. So, so on like a couple of different levels, I mean, this is the only book that does that, but if you're gonna, I feel like if you're gonna have a book like this, you need to, the, the best, the best cases of books like this working are when they work in the macro and the mic and the micro level, you know? So big universe shaking, uh, events, but we get to have the little bit of the character interaction and a little bit of the, you know, that sort of, those sort of things to help us, you know, actually sort of care about the characters in addition to them just looking awesome. So, um, I like how Justice League, this feels in some ways like Ultimate Justice League in a way that sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So we've got, uh, Hawkgirl, you know, is a, is a big part of the league, um, and that, uh, touches back on my Justice League uh, animated series love, you know. So you've got like John Stewart as the Green Lantern there. You've got you've got Hawkgirl. Um, you've got uh, John Jones in a uh, you know in a prominent role, which uh, is always awesome. Um, and so it's just bringing together a lot of you know bringing together elements that are there, and it's like oh it'd be really cool if they did this. And you're like, oh, they're doing it. Oh, wow, that's cool, you know. Um, and then Will Payton, Starman, nice, mm. nice. So, yeah, not uh, you know, not the the biggest uh, Justice League issue we we've had, but certainly uh, certainly an enjoyable one. And setting up the next, uh, you know, crossover slash, I guess crossover, right? Hello. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So what did you guys think? Brian, are you awake enough to, to, to give off. your thoughts on it? Fuck <laughs> off. Guy takes one nap, and all of a sudden, he's the fucking uh, prince from Spaceballs. I get it. <laughs> prince Valiant? Rip, prince prince Valiant. Rip Van Winkle in here. Exactly. No, uh, no yeah. Okay, so first of all, this is the best issue of Justice League in some time. Um Sometime I mean like a few months. Uh, one of the things, Greg, that, that we've been sort of uh, complaining about lately with Justice League is that, well, first of all, there's been a lot of issues co-written by James Tynan the fourth, and specifically scripted by him. And mm -hmm. Tynan's on record of saying that he loves like a, a secret history of something. Mm -hmm. He loves when there's a a long hidden bit of of uh, mythology that informs what's going on in the present. So so many of these issues have been just like walls of text of some character saying you think you know how the world works but it really works this way mm -hmm. and just sure and that stuff can be fun every now and then but it's been overkill whereas this issue did not have that uh, even though there was sort of a you know a sixth dimension introduced it didn't feel like the redundant over the top sort of um just wall of expositional uh dialogue that we've gotten elsewhere and it's just because it's illustrated by Jimenez, it 
even when it does verge on that territory, the art is just stunning and playful and fluid in a way that sometimes doesn't always happen on this book when, when Jimenez isn't there. Um, I also love that Clark is as uh, annoyed as we are. I just calls him Mix at some point because he's tired of trying to pronounce that name as well. So um, I appreciated that. You know, like you said, Greg, I love the sort of playfulness of the team. I thought Zatanna teaching Wonder Woman like a minor <laughs> cloaking spell is such a like D&D move <laughs> for the Justice League. I really enjoyed that. Uh, there's just a lot of little elements here. Even though you know, ultimately this issue doesn't do much but set up this arc, it was a really satisfying, really fun issue, at least for me. Um, what did you guys think? Um, I like this a lot. Well, I liked it quite a bit. I, I felt like it was a fun setup issue. Sometimes setup issues are really hard, and, and this one I felt like did a really, really good job of setting up this arc. Um, I uh, was We were joking on Twitter some this week about, uh, I think Vince started it, or someone started it, because Vince isn't on Twitter, um, regarding the James... Yeah, the James Robinson uh, Justice League yes. um, and how fond of that Brian and I are. And I think that Justice Leagues are just better when they have a Starman on the team. Um, and and the opening kind of like team shot of this issue that has the, you know, the kind of the core team. But now we also have Starman and Mira replacing Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just a really good team. And I, I am a little sad that... Um, it looks like Starman and Mira are going to get sidelined for this arc, which I understand. Like they're doing the like Justice Lords type thing, which again is kind of another like DC animated universe callback, which is very cool. So mm-hmm. I can overlook it. Um, yeah, no, I I I think we've all been kind of looking forward to this arc for a while because it's kind of a back to. Uh, sort of back to basics or, or back to kind of the promise of this book. Um, and also white lantern, John Stewart. That's very cool. Yes, it is. <laughs> also further confirmation that John's John Jones bones. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he does. Um, yeah, I don't have much to add. I, you guys, you guys said it all, but I, I did, I did want to talk about the future version of the justice league that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why. First of all, I love when books do shit like this, as we all know. <laughs> We've talked about this so many times, but I'm not sure why. But it reminded me of. Do you guys remember the very first arc of uh, Grant Morrison's JLA, where they mm-hmm. there was the, the Hyper Clan, mm-hmm. and, and they were that group of heroes that like flew around and saved everything, right? Like. Like their big their big thing was that they their their big thing that was that like they were gonna save everything in like the snap of a finger right mm-hmm. um and be like literally like the 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 watchman of not 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 to use a overdone comic phrase but like the watchman of Earth uh, at that point and they all turned out to be like white Martians or something like that uh, the crime mm-hmm. busters of Earth come on. <laughs> Crime yeah. Busters Earth. Yes, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> Go back to sleep, asshole. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, I don't know. I don't know why, but it reminded me. It reminded me of that just because the, I think the leader of that was this like golden guy who wore like a white and gold outfit, and that very much uh, is evo- evoked by the outfit that Superman's wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that I don't know if that was intentional or not. Probably not, but it's, it was just something I thought of, and I, I really like the designs of these characters at the end. Yeah, but yeah, this was a great issue. Other, otherwise, the uh, my favorite bit of the design is just how a lot of these designs are very intuitive and very reflexive. Reflexive is the wrong word. It very much reflects sort of alternate versions of these characters, but they're folded in, in a really natural way. Like both the the sort of cape slash trench coat that Bruce is wearing is very like Gotham by Gaslight. Batman, but his <laughs> mm-hmm. but his logo was very Batman Beyond. You know, um, even like those those alternate flashes. Like we don't know which flash is is Barry versus you know are those his kids or those whatever. But but each of those designs is sort of evocative of another Flash or an alt universe Flash. It's just a very nice bit of design work from Jimenez, who also uh, co-plotted this issue, which I think and this oh, I didn't even panel, notice that. Yeah. It, Plotted by by both with the script by Snyder, which I, I think is really interesting. Uh, Snyder is, is really leaning into his collaborators for this book. I don't know what that means exactly, but it, it, I think it's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good start. I I think this arc is going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on, we have uh, The Green Lantern, number five, uh, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Liam Sharp. Um, we get the continuation of this Black Star vampire arc thing. Uh, <laughs> Brian, you want to take point on this one? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, first of all, can we just say that the one of the best parts of every issue are the like pulpy tagline on the front. We talked about this before, <laughs> but this one especially, Marooned on a Vampire Planet, how Jordan faces, faces the ultimate ordeal of endurance. It's just <laughs> great. It's so... Running so from wild. a giant butthole. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Well, I think Vince said it all. Let's move on, guys. Um, <laughs> no, uh, this, this issue continues the... A sort of, uh, I don't want to say reemergence is the wrong word. Liam Sharp just continues to prove that it's insane how long he wasn't doing like mainstream comic work, and what the fuck were DC and Marvel thinking, not hiring this guy for a decade? When I interviewed him late last year about this. He said that he had not gotten a phone call from one of the big two in a decade before the Green Lantern, before that's Wonder Woman, that's and nuts. that's crazy. When you look at this issue, you just see how unbelievable he is, and. Every page has something really beautiful and weird. Some of the homes on this planet or the, the various like, structures that house to go into are straight out of like an EC book. Um, he so deftly melds the horror setting for this issue with the cosmic stuff that he's been doing throughout the whole book. And like, those last few pages, which take place on New Oa, don't feel out of place from the the horror that we had before and his layouts are impeccable there's one particular page where um 
Cal starts to use the gauntlets on on his uh, arms, and the, the just the way the panel, the way the pages are constructed, there's like this this sky colored background that's just outside of the um, like alien shaped image. It's kind of hard to describe. I'm doing a bad job describing it, but it's just this absolutely gorgeous page and. You know, this is one of those books that I could I could totally read without the words, and it would be just as evocative and fun. But then you get this incredible Grant Morrison script on top of it, which which has this like uh, almost um, obnoxious crypt keeper uh, character throughout <laughs> this issue, just like oh, you are further into my trap now. You know, <laughs> so much fun. And then uh, I'm gonna save. I'm gonna let someone else talk about the bit at the end with the Guardian, um, but yeah, this book this book rips. <laughs> Vince, take us away. It does. It rips. It whips ass. Everything. It's it's amazing. Um, Brian, you said that the setting was like something out of an EC uh, book. Um, for the uh, for the gaming sect among us, I was immediately thinking of Bloodborne's setting. Uh, if anybody's familiar with Bloodborne, th- this I'm, I'm playing it right now. Actually, yeah. not oh, as they're... we record, not, not as we, but <laughs> oh. like I've I've I picked it up again recently. Um, yeah, so and, does yeah, it not you look like right. it's like spot on Bloodborne? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> oh man, I can't believe I didn't make that connection. But yeah, it's it's perfect, especially the. There's that one, like, uh, right as Hal is entering the, the city or whatever, um, he's sort of standing up above, and you're see, you see, like, a like a river with bridges, and then on either side there's these massive structures and houses and water wheels and things like that. There are points in the beginning of, of Bloodborne where you kind of – you kind of s- – start up on top of these towers and you kind of go deeper in and you definitely see some views that look exactly like this. Um, it's, it's kind of uncanny, uh, but just so detailed, so gorgeous looking. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I love the way that this is like a very video gamey or like D and D type adventure. Like you need to, you need to collect the three artifacts, you know, and then like, Oh, you've okay. Each of them add, something that you need to progress and uh uh and then there's a twist at the end of course with the last with the last item that he has to get and then i I love the way that the the crib keeper as you called her i think it's the uh, what is it the vampire's daughter or something like that um is just this uh you know throws these little wrinkles in that she even says at times like ah you should have guessed like this is a predictable like a very video gamey twist to this whole thing, you know, but of course Hal's Hal's living it as we speak. And so um, it doesn't take away from the, the tension or anything like that. And, and I think that the twisty bits all work and, and Hal calling himself black star parallax at the end is a nice little thematic beat. Um, and then that final page, Oh guys, that final page is just classic. Comic book dickery, right? <laughs> You're right. Yes. What, it is. what do we What do we see on that final page? 
He's got to kill Adam Strange. Yeah, prove your loyalty. Kill Adam Strange. <laughs> it's it's so good, you guys. Yeah. Greg, Greg, how does this how does this hit you? Uh, it hits me pretty well, I gotta say. So, <laughs> um, just first off, I just happen to have the the PDF open to the first, you know, the first actual page of the comic, and you were mentioning, you know, Planet of the Vampires, and and I look down, and of course, we've got Hal standing in front of uh, a bunch of vampires, like a bunch of vampires from pop culture. So he's so he's standing next to Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt from uh, Interview with the Vampire, and then behind that you've got the Bram Stoker's Dracula sort of bat creature. And then I look over, and then there's Morbius from <laughs> Marvel, Morbius the Living Vampire, and I'm like, uh-huh. okay. So clearly Sharp is having some fun. Um, you know, he's having some fun uh, with this. Um, yeah, so uh, I think it's funny that it takes. Morrison to come in and kind of break the Green Lantern book out of the like John's momentum of it being like less focused on space coppery, I guess, or space cop sort of stuff. Like they were like the core was still space cops, but when Morrison comes in, I feel like he finally gets to say, okay, look, we're doing. Space cop, we're doing one space cop, essentially. Um, you know, we're going to see the rest of the core, but it's all going to be not necessarily through Jordan specifically, but there's less, like, um, not ephemeral, but like it's very, it's very much like with, with focusing more on the Green Lantern, we get to have, like, okay, space cop, so. What do cops do? It's like cop goes undercover. So Hal Jordan being sent, you know, undercover to infiltrate this, you know, this thing. And when you're undercover, like whenever you see cop shows, whenever you have a person who's undercover, the trying to be initiated into a gang or organization or whatever, it's always that you have to prove our loyalty or your loyalty. So you need to, you know, kill somebody. Essentially sort of what it works out to be. You need to, you know... uh, do this particular thing or shoot this person or whatever. And of course the green lantern version of that is you got to kill Adam strange, you know? So I, I appreciate that. Di- I'm appreciating the directness of Morrison's like, okay, this is a space cop. Um, yeah, really, I, I guess that, that's the way to say it. Like, like really boiling it down to ease to very straightforward, um, straightforward plot um, kernels, nuggets, like plot points that he then embellishes on, but in a Morrison sort of way, as opposed to like a sprawling type of, you know, Jeff Johns, uh, you know, Venditti sort of losing focus. I feel like this is very, very focused, even if we get to see, you know, weird you know other weird people in the in the core and and stuff like we saw earlier on and you know the first couple issues and you know giving a platform to liam sharp to just go nuts in terms of art and really lean into uh you know as much of the weird body horror or just sort of horror in general that he's always had as a really 
big sort of uh, streak throughout his, you know, throughout his career. Um, I say this every time, and I guess it's sort of one of my things that I'm always trying to equate certain artists with other artists. Um, but every time I look at his stuff, I'm thinking Rick Veach. Like, it is, man, it is really, really strong. And I mean that in the best possible way. Like, I'm not saying he's, you know, ripping off Veach, but he's doing, he's he's tapping into that Veach slash Tottlebin slash Steve Bissett early uh, Swamp Thing type of stuff. Again, another green character, ironically enough. Um, but the, so you're seeing these, you know, beautiful things, but there's always, you're either seeing horrific things, in which case he's making them even more horrific, or even the beautiful things are twin, are sort of tinged with some sort of either otherworldly or discomforting, disquieting sort of thing, uh, feel to it. Right. And I totally dig that one in and of itself, but two, almost as a reaction to the sort of Ethan Van Skyver slick, uh, Green Lantern stuff that we'd gotten before, you know? Um, and let me see. Um, and yeah, Black Stars. I didn't know if that was like Dark Stars for a bit, but then I went back and sort of figured out like they're an offshoot of the Dark Stars. Um, and like I hadn't really followed Green Lantern very closely sort of before the Morrison stuff, but I haven't really had a problem picking up the Morrison stuff and going from there again because it's really couched in very simple, you know cop cop procedural sort of sort of terms which they've then you know embellished all of this you know alien uh sort of goodness on you know on top of but like the basically you know jordan being the space cop and having his uh you know his captain say okay we're gonna send you ever cover um you know we're gonna play up the fact that you're you know disillusioned with the core we figured you wouldn't have a problem with that uh if uh if things go south we're gonna disown you we didn't figure you'd have a problem with that either because I mean, come on, you're Hal Jordan. Like every other day you're basically saying, you know, screw this. You guys aren't doing, you know, what you should be doing or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, I've totally been, I've totally been digging it. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's good stuff. Zach, what'd you think? Man, nobody says it better than Greg. I'm just going to well... say, um, yeah, no, this was great for all the reasons that you guys have mentioned, um, the art style, um, the tones it's evoking, um, the plot beats. You know, you mentioned the the kind of like deep undercover bad cop, which is a, a plot beat that Venditti actually did towards the end of the New 52 era. Only it was uh, Hal kind of took it upon himself and he um, grew his hair out and wore a trench coat and had a gauntlet and... So it was very cool, is what you're saying. It, it was very cool, and this is obviously very nerdy. Um, mm -hmm. No, th this is awesome. Um, don't have a ton to add, but I did have a quick question. When it, when he references Green Arrow killing the the mm -hmm. vampire daughter's dad, do you, do any of you all know what that is referring to? Is that from? I have that... an idea, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I actually just thought of this a little bit ago. It's not the over. It's not like the vampire monitor. Mandrak. I don't yeah. think so. Because I thought okay. I've been wondering this whole time is like, is she Mandrak's daughter? Um, 
but I think in that the Green Lanterns all well, like everybody kind of like got together to kill him. I w- mm. I was wondering if this was maybe like referring to something in like the Denny O'Neill run, like the hard traveling hero stuff. I had the mm. same thought because I feel like if there was ever an era of Green Lantern stories where he and Ollie would have encountered a vampire, it seems like that's the logical era for that. <laughs> um, but I don't I don't know it off the top of my head. It might also be just Morrison like playing on that idea for all of us. Like this is something that yeah. could have happened in the past, you know. But... Yeah. 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 Um it didn't actually happen in this issue, but last issue, like one of the little bits that I liked was um so Hal Jordan, he's like, you know, going undercover or whatever. And for most of the issue, he's there, but we, we, but he's in disguise as like a four armed dude, you know? So he's not in disguise as like a complete alien. He's like a human with a beard and a hat and a jacket and stuff, but the jacket has four arms. So you're not thinking Jordan until the end, in which case we see that two of those arms were filled out with like uh, lantern projections, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, that's a, that was a really nice, subtle, I mean, they're not too subtle, but like, it was a good visual gag, and it was also the type of just little bit that Morrison would have thrown in there that I, I just, I, I, the, 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 this book is filled with that, you know, little, little things like that, whether it's, you know, script things or, you know, visual beats or, or what have you. It's, it's a book that's got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Greg, when you were talking about uh, seeing uh, Morbius the Living Vampire on that one page, I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe I maybe I wasn't listening. Did you mention Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt? He did. He did. Oh, okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking down and I'm like, wow, that looks like Brad Pitt. What would he be? Oh, vampire. Oh. oh. And then I just start looking up and I'm like, oh, look, there's Morbius. There's Nosferatu. There's you know. Yeah. The uh, Gary Oldman, you know, vampire bat. Uh, thing it's all, yeah, it's all good. It's good shit. It's very good, good. shit. Yeah. yeah. I just want to throw in here also. I think that I know. I I think I'm speaking for both Zach and Vince here, Greg. But I think for all of us, we really sort of either re got into Green Lantern or first got into Green Lantern during some of the best of the John stuff, and so. There's a lot of elements of the John's Green Lantern stuff that we are all big fans of. And I knew I'd love a Grant Morrison Green Lantern book, but I was afraid to a certain degree that it would be taking away some of the um, some of the things that I really love about what John's did with Green Lantern. What I like about this is that it's not taking away any of that. It, re- it, it really it, it's putting it to the side right now. But sometimes when these books get refocused, they just toss away a big chunk of the mythology. And I don't get the feeling that's happening, and I'm very glad about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You get somebody like Morrison or somebody – it doesn't have to be like Morrison because he's kind of – he has his own little cottage industry for this sort of stuff. But like a good enough writer will be able to do that, will be able to not – we'll be able to pick out certain things, but not negate what's gone before, you know? Um, the other, the other thing I just wanted to mention really quick is, uh, visually, this is in some ways sort of hearkening. I feel like Liam Sharp is also sort of hearkening back to like Kevin O'Neill 
stuff. So like the mid eighties or early to mid ish eighties, like some of the Green Lantern backups, uh, actually of course written by more, um, the here, there be tigers. Mm-hmm. The, um, was of course drawn by Kevin O'Neill. Um, interesting story about that was that the, that issue of Green Lantern Corps quarterly that it shows up in doesn't have the comics code seal on it because they submitted that to the comic code. This is like back in like 84, 85. And the code was like, yeah, we, we can't put, you know, we can't put a seal on this. We can't approve this. And they're like, okay, well, what do you want us to change? They're like, we can't think of anything you could do to this to make it code <laughs> approved. It is so disturbing, you know, and I feel like, you know, having and that's the green lantern story that gets referenced all the time like that's where sodom yat came from that's where the um uh i can't remember the guy who's like nailed up to the i guess it was like the crucified alien that abin sir runs into and he tells about like like that is one of the pinnacle uh lantern stories because john's basically built most of the entire run you know from it um and it's really really grotesque and you know for all the Ivan race you know sheen of like the early uh, uh, you know John's run and the Carlos Pacheco all of which I love like I really love that run at least up through Sinestro Corps War like that is good shit um, you know sometimes space is not beautiful sometimes space is weird and ugly and some Lovecraftian sort of what the fuck is that and very few people do that as good as Kevin O'Neill or now that we're seeing, you know, Liam Sharp and still have it be somewhat, if not code approved anymore, somewhat like not R rated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. All right. Um, We've got another green character. Um, We've got the final issue for this incarnation of, Green Arrow, um, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, illustrated by Javier Fernandez. Um, I just want to say that I have not been reading this book for a while. Um, I can't remember the last time I really... I, I guess it was maybe when Kelly and Lansing came on. I actually don't even remember how long ago that was. Only a few um, like three or four years. Was issues. it okay. Okay. It's been farther than farther back than that. Um because it was the um the the, the writers from Birds Yeah, the Bensons. I couldn't remember their last name. Yeah, from Birds of Prey. Um I liked this issue quite a bit and almost feel like this feels like it could have been a good first issue for a Green Arrow comic. I, but, I had texted you guys earlier in the day that I had a hot take for tonight's show. Yeah, this, this is, is, the this is it? The, this is the best issue of the week. Oh yeah. my goodness. Boy, I'll, I'll elaborate. Go into, dig into that. Okay, there is so much good stuff that is happening in this issue and it First of all, I think that some of the stuff that's able that is allowed to happen here is allowed to happen because of the final issue. So as much as I want to use this as the example of why these two guys who have done perfectly cromulent work in DC, but nothing that has been particularly particularly stood out, you know, I want to use this as an example for why they should have gotten a longer run at this. But I recognize that some of this is only possible 
because it's putting this chapter to bed. Um, this does a really nice job of, first of all, it brings in a bit of New 52 mythology I never thought we'd see referenced again, which is Team 7. You know, if, if any of you had Team 7 oh on your bingo gosh, card... Oh my gosh, I didn't even no. realize that's what they were talking about. Oh my <laughs> yeah. goodness. Yeah, this, yeah, she was like, I was in an espionage group or whatever. That That's Justin Jordan's Team 7, y'all. Um, so, it, it has that. And you guys know how I love a bit of weird ephemera coming back uh, uh-huh. into a comic. It also has a really wonderful uh, run of dialogue between Dinah and Ollie that feels extremely authentic to both characters. And they keep making choices that are so perfectly in line with who the character has been built up to be in this book, but also just kind of across DC throughout Rebirth in general. In the three different times in this issue, you think they're done with each other. And then something happens to bring them back together again, and it's just—it's a really, really nice—it's a really nice way of showing their enduring love for one another that they're not giving up on one another. Specifically, Diana's not giving up on Ollie over and over again, and it's a really beautiful uh, sort of description of their love that I think has sometimes gotten uh, ignored over the last number of years. Uh, it also does a bunch of fun, weird, green arrow stuff. The aeroplane to it his underwater base comes into it it's just checking off a lot of the boxes for the last few um you know years of green arrow comics and then it has that i think i think it was pretty i don't want to say obvious that's the wrong word i think the box being empty that that john jones gave him in no justice is a rather a rather likely outcome like i think that that's not that's not the most surprising thing that could be in that box, right? I think we were all wondering what it was, but you could also understand why they would give him an empty box, right? <laughs> it just sort of it just sort of makes sense. And then that last panel, the sort of hit that, oh shit, no, it wasn't an empty box. Yeah. It, it's just a really well constructed issue. It's a double sized issue, but it doesn't drag. It doesn't feel like it's overstaying its welcome. It's just a really well-constructed Green Arrow story. And uh, you know, the, the guys had said, uh, Kelly and uh, Lansing, that they were they thought they were taking this book over to do 50 issues. They got to do three or four. And how this sort of was their way of wrapping up all of those, sort of all those threads they were planning on exploring. They had to condense into one like oversized issue can't believe how good of a job they did with it. This is a legitimately great issue of a comic, I think. Yeah, especially for an oversized issue. Like, I feel like it's been a, a constant refrain for us that, you know, some of these anniversary issues or, or like annual issues that tell 30 to 40 page stories don't really utilize the, the extra space well, but this issue just zipped along at like such a pace you know and and was extremely enjoyable to read it never felt like slow or or draggy or anything so greg when was the last time you read an issue of green arrow um maybe the last time i was on the show (laughs) i think that was Uh, was at least a year ago right yeah i want to say otto schmidt 
Druid. Ah. Okay. So I don't know when that places it. Um, so I don't know if this is my favorite issue of the week, but I agree with pretty much everything you just said. It is, it's an oversized issue that doesn't feel oversized. Like it feels very well paced. Um, I obviously haven't read a green, almost like green lantern, almost haven't read a green arrow comic in a while. And yet I was able to follow everything that was happening. I don't know if that's necessarily because I have some history with the character, but I really feel like this issue would have still worked even if I'd never, you know, heard of Ollie before. Um, it's also a little weird. Um, I've always pronounced her name Dina. So I, I, you know, I the spelling of her first name, I see that for other people and i would say dina but whenever it's for uh black canary i always say dina so i'm apologizing up front uh <laughs> if i have if you think i've uh, yeah no, it's just it's weird like i see it i just like dina um i will say in yeah. the arrow verse it is dina yeah, yeah. oh no oh no it it, it it should be dina like that's just me that's just i had never <laughs> encountered that name until many years after reading you know, about Dina. <laughs> uh, and so I just have not been able to reconnect the, reconnect the thing. So, but that's on me. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, so Lansing and, and Kelly do a really good job of, like I said, bring, you know, bring me up to speed for what I need, but having everything feel like it's in character with these, you know, with these characters. So we get to have, you know, uh, a serious conversation between Dina and Ollie and they, I'm not like, Oh, okay. It's one of these. I really, like, I really f was into, you know, each one of their, each one of their conversations. Um, and th it's funny that the espionage thing, I obviously didn't think team seven. Uh, I thought it was more, I was like, Oh, that was just something in her past. And it made me, think of the parallel between and this is just sort of me but between like marvel and dc between like mockingbird and hawkeye where mockingbird was an agent of shield and then she's then becomes you know an avenger and, and eventually gets into a relationship with hawkeye and then here we have you know dina and ollie and it's like oh of course dina would have some sort of you know secret agent sort of past because mockingbird was sort of i'm assuming based off of uh, you know, Black Canary, and so she had it. So this is where they were pulling from. I didn't realize it sort of came that late in the, you know, in her history. Anyway, bit of a bit of a tangent there. Um, Javier Fernandez, holy yep. shit! Yeah. Mm -hmm. How yeah. how long has he been on this book? Has he been on for their run? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. and a little bit of the Bensons as I, well, I, right? I think all of the Bensons were on. Okay. Movie. Yeah. Because yeah. And so, the shoes. Ooh. Um, yeah, so he's, so going back to like those, you know, those, uh, conversations. So like, there's a fair amount of talking heads in this book, uh, but he sells the emotions of Ollie and Dina, you know, like when they're having the, when, when she's telling him about, you know, her past and the, I had to bring some, you know, I got to bring in this target. And he's like, yeah, let's go, you know, we'll, you know, you and me, we'll team up, we'll go do it. And she's like, oh, oh, it's you. And he he sells the, he sells the conversations he sells the emotion and then when it comes to Ollie 
you know, firing three arrows simultaneously to hit, uh, you know, jeeps that are coming after him. He totally sells that too. Like it's really good, really, really, really good. He's got, you know, he he sells motion very well, and I feel like he's got uh, stylistically he's combining a couple of things. So like we get some of the, I think maybe the Otto Schmidt sort of fluidity, if I'm remembering that sort of correctly like he seemed to be a, a much more of a um uh uh sort of artist but then uh there's a grit to it that maybe comes a little i mean he's not pulling it from sorrentino but in terms of like looking back at sort of the artists that have come up through at least the latest sort of iterations of green arrow like there was the uh andrea sorrentino stuff with like the lemire issues right like that was a, was that a thing that was a thing yeah right Okay, so like some of the some of the textures and stuff that we see in this, uh, you know, make it so that it's not completely sort of clean. Um, but the the he has a uh, a cartooning and a a real sort of emotional um, uh, um, a way of actually he, he's he's using cartooning tips for emotion, whereas I feel like Sorrentino is going a little more like Alex Maleev, like photo real. I don't want photo real. This is like more real than real, which is what good cartooning can do. But he's also got it so that it's, it's gritty and kind of grounded in a way that makes this like, okay, some shit's going down now. Right. Like it's it, it for mood. Like he can use, you know, some grit for mood, but also he's got the cartooning to be able to do, to really let the emotional scenes um, ring, you know, ring true. Uh, yeah, it is, a, it is a really great comic. And uh, I don't know if this is probably not why you picked it, but starting off with a Kevin Nolan cover and a Doc Shaner variant cover, <laughs> that, set, that set the bar pretty high. I was like, okay, even if this issue is complete shit, like, I am going to love this because... I am a Nolan Mark and I am a Doc Shaner Mark and the issue like lived up to it. So yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, oh, sorry, Zach, go ahead. I was, I was going to ask Greg, did you, did you read any of the, the Tim Seeley and Javier Fernandez Nightwing from early in rebirth? No, I didn't. You, you should check that out. It's got some really great okay. Fernandez art. Yeah, so Javi and Javier, they're the same guy? Yes, yeah. Obviously? Okay. I was hoping... Oh, it may but... always be Javi. I, I don't know if... I may have been mistaken no, when I said Javier. It's Is it Javier no, it's, here. It's okay. Javier here. Yeah, okay. And with the last name, like, Fernandez, like, I feel like it's common enough that... There could you know, be a Javi and a Javier. It could, be, it could be. You know, I wasn't familiar enough with the work to be able to really, you know, sort of make that distinction, but, you know... Anyway, okay, cool. Writing that down. All right. Okay. So Vince, tell us we're all wrong. Come on. <laughs> I don't have much to add about this. Um, no, yeah. Well, I mean, you're wrong about it being the best issue of the week, but uh, but it's a very good issue. You enjoy um, Curse of Brimstone more. I get it. Yes, that's right. Yes. Um, yeah, that was the best issue of the week, for sure. Sadly, it's only going to make our New Age of Heroes list. <laughs> um, but anyway. It was, uh, it was the finale. It was the finale, yep. Um, the I really liked... So everything you guys said about this issue was spot on. 
But one thing I want to talk about is uh, the empty box. I love how the the, the box being empty <laughs> inspired Ollie to go on this like two page Spider Man No More style rant about like <laughs> like it was very much like uh, like um, a window into Ollie's psyche that I think was was very unintentionally funny to me but not in like a bad way like i just i just picture him like screaming at god himself you know because because he's just this little man that the justice league left behind <laughs> I, I i had a very uh a flashback to charlie brown christmas where he puts the one ornament on the tree and it collapses and like it breaks charlie brown to the core yes that's how it felt to me mm. yeah there you go that's that's what i'm going for yep yeah so Good issue. Farewell, Ollie. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll be relaunched. You know, sometime relatively soon. What's um, interesting to me about this is that sort of it. Um, you know, they they use the box as as sort of the MacGuffin for this issue, and you understand why that had to come back before the end of this run because that is such an important part of the whole like no justice, new justice thing. But I'm sort of shocked they brought it back, made it this big thing, and then did nothing with it, even though there is obviously stuff to be done with it. Yeah. So I, you know, it's just it's an interesting choice, but I, I enjoyed it. All right. Are we ready to move on to the big one? Oh, sure. yeah. The one we've clearly all all been waiting for. Harley Quinn number 59. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, so um Doomsday Clock number nine. We've been waiting to talk to to Greg about this for a pretty long time. Um written, of course, by uh Jeff Johns and illustrated by why am I blanking on his name right now? I'm a terrible host. <laughs> Gary, Gary Frank. Frank. Gary Frank. Oh my goodness, I'm the worst. Yeah. That was a weird <laughs> mind slip um man i okay so earlier today i tweeted that if this issue had come out 10 years ago i would have thought it was just the greatest thing that was ever made it it's high literature it's the best thing johns has ever done um (laughs) and it's because like this feels like the culmination of all the things that he was doing back then um and also, I just thought a lot more highly. Uh, I I just I would have eaten this up. Now I'm my. I I liked this issue more in some ways than some of the previous issues, but also there were a lot of times where I was just like uh, tugging at my collar really hard. Um, who who wants to go first here? Well, I think we should let Greg go first because I think I think we I think should so have Greg. <laughs> I think we should have Greg talk a little bit about uh, his entire deal with with Doomsday <laughs> Clock and and what 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 he thinks about it. Not not for too long because we want to we want to dissect this issue obviously, but just yeah, as yeah. a little primer going into this because uh, I think his perspective is a little bit different than ours. So. Yeah. Um so in looking back, I don't we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. I don't think I've actually been on the show to talk about Doomsday Clock itself. 
Um, so, uh, hopefully I haven't, cause I, 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 some of the stuff I'm going to say I got from a, from a Google doc that I wrote a year ago, like over <laughs> a year ago as like, these are my notes. So I'm not sure. I, I don't think I've actually, I don't believe you've been on the this. show since then. Okay. Okay. So, so, uh, my trying to sort of distill this, my big thing is that this is Doomsday Clock is a uh, is a crisis miniseries in everything but name. It's not a Watchmen sequel. It's not a Watchmen continuation. It is basically Infinite Crisis Two. Watchmen Boogaloo, <laughs> um, and 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 so and so getting into this, I think when we were talking about this before Doomsday Clock came out. I was like, look, it's not going to be Watchmen. I mean, it's not a continuation of Watchmen because, like, that was its own particular thing. And, like, I'm emotionally okay with it. Uh, you know, whatever happens here, that's not going to change what I feel about this original, you know, about this original work. And then sometime after that, I saw an image that crystallized it for me. Um, and I had tweeted it to you. Uh, it was the cover for Who's Who's Who update 88 or 89? 88. 88. 88? Okay. So uh, so these Who's Who, they're, they're you know, uh, the DC uh, handbooks, right? So um, they had a, you know, the big run came out after Crisis. You had your 15 issues. And then the year after that, they had an update of five issues. And the year after that, they had another update of five issues um, that that second, the last issue of that had two entries on Watchmen. And the cover of that issue is a big, uh, you know, um, group shot of everybody who's mentioned in the issue. And so you've got all of these, you know, DC characters, then up in the upper left-hand corner of that double page or that, you know, wraparound cover, you have the owl ship with, uh, you know, Night Owl and Rorschach and Comedian, you know, hanging off it. So I was like, look, Doomsday Clock is not the first time there's been a Watchmen uh, DC crossover. Uh, obviously that, you know, it had happened here. I don't mean that literally, but I was thinking about that. And then I just started thinking about, you know, about the series. And I was, uh, you know, going back and reading Crisis. How does Crisis on Infinite Earth start? It starts off with, um, in some ways, just like, you know, Superman starts. It starts off with, uh, somebody coming from another world uh, or another dimension into the DC universe and, you know, that sort of kicking everything off. Uh, I look back at Infinite Crisis, which is written by Johns. How does Infinite Crisis start? It starts with uh, basically these untouchable sort of on-the-shelf characters coming back into the DC universe to fix things, to change how that universe change how the DC universe is going. So in Infinite Crisis, it was the the characters from the end of... Or, yeah, from Infinite Crisis, it was the characters from the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was, you know, Golden Age Superman, it was uh, Superboy Prime, and it was Alexander Luthor. So, you know, I feel like Doomsday Clock is, you know, paced differently, but if you look at it, it's kind of following the same the same structure as like infinite crisis in certain points you have earth w which is what i'm calling 
the the Watchmen world that we see in the beginning of of um, Doomsday Clock. It's not official. It's a you know Gregism. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Gregism. Uh, and I can support this as it not being the Watchmen world because every time we see a uh, sky shot of that world, there's no uh, Zeppelin. There's no dirigible, which was all over the place in the original Gibbons. So this isn't. So for me, this is not the Watchmen world that we see in Watchmen. This is the, you know, the Charlton equivalent in the DCU that just happens to break almost exactly like Watchmen. Like it's not the same. It's not the same thing. That's just my personal thing, but I'm going with that. Okay. So, you know, Doomsday Clock starts off with this, you know, the that world blowing up and survivors of that world coming to, uh, you know, coming to the mainstream DC universe and finding it in a, in a uh, time of crisis. And the two, you know, the mainstream DCU and these, uh, you know... Um, survivors of another world, you know, coming into, you know, coming into conflict. That's what we saw in Infinite Crisis. And, you know, that's what we're seeing here in, in uh, Doomsday Clock. So uh, I think it was, it's a little harder to kind of see that because we lean so much into the Watchmen uh, stuff early on uh, in terms of like actual plot stuff. And then sort of everything is kind of framed or, or um, sort of told through a Watchmen storytelling lens, but at its core, that's really what it is. And as we've been getting further on into the series, we've been getting more of the DC Universe stuff uh, coming in. Uh, I think it's a little easier to see it as not Watchmen 2, but as, you know, another one of the Crisis miniseries. I guess Doomsday Crisis would have been a little too on the nose. <laughs> so, you know, Doomsday Clock. So, um so actually, I've been really enjoying it from that particular perspective. I'm not needing it to kind of sync up into, you know, where the DCU is or where it's going, but I'm I'm interested in seeing how Johns is basically taking all of these, you know, Watchmen tropes and Watchmen storytelling things and everything and sort of a plot and and kind of having them invade the you know the DCU. Or, you know, invade his telling of this DCU, you know, tale, be it the, you know, the reliance on a, uh, you know, like a nine panel grid or a particular grid structure to things like, you know, uh, we see in this issue, Dr. Manhattan uh, giving Firestorm a revelation in, you know, kind of similar ways of Laurie, uh, of his uh, you know, helping Lori realize that, you know, the comedian is her father. Like it, it th these things sort of, you know, start to match up. Not that it necessarily means anything that doesn't make this, um, you know, a sequel to Watchmen, but it's, it's, I, I, I find it interesting to see this as a continuation of either a conscious or subconscious streak in his work of covering Alan Moore stuff. You know, and and sort of using those tools, you, you know, playing with those toys that Moore has left, and doing you know some interesting, you know, interesting stuff uh, with it. And uh, I feel that Gary Frank is much in in terms of of collaboration with with Jeff Johns. Frank is much more of a Brian Bolland to Johns's Moore rather than Dave Gibbons 
to more in terms of like what what Frank is actually sort of doing and the type of stuff that he's putting down in terms of like you know uh, a, a realism or a, or, a, or a grit or something. I feel it's very much more uh, open intended Bolland than um, you know than Gibbons, but Frank and Johns have done so much comics, so many comics together, between their Action Comics run versus like their Batman Earth One stuff. Like they have a real, uh, a really really good working relationship. So to see them doing comics, these are these are well created or these are well executed comics. What they're executing may or may not be uh, what you're what people are interested in or sort of what people want to see but even just in terms of like the actual execution it's a really fucking good comics or the comics that i'm enjoying i guess maybe the one is not necessarily the other so so that's where i'm coming from i guess is this thing on yeah yes yeah yes <laughs> sorry. sorry we're yeah. we're often speechless on the show as you know uh, yeah that's fine i'm yeah so did i did any of that sound like familiar? I can't remember if I actually. No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Greg, I think you and okay. I might have had like a text combo about this at some point. Okay, but I don't think anything was said on the show. And okay. uh, yeah, Zach, I want you to talk more about this because you haven't talked as much this week because you've been playing the host. So playing go... the host, um, man, I don't know. I'm really conflicted by this issue because it's there's so much that I like. Um, you know, Greg, you. You're, this is a crisis. The title for this issue is Crisis, yeah. Um, yeah. which I love that page. That page is good, and the page is following with all the different teams on the oh, ships. That's, <laughs> we could spend a half an hour on those pages. Yes. We could. Yes. Like It's so good. Some of the people who show up here, Magog, um, Flex Mentallo. Magog. Uh, Magog. Oh my yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, the, the ship that has the Shazet has both the Shazam family and Stargirl. I'm like, oh, that's the Brian ship. Okay, cool. Jeff Johnson, <laughs> do like, that's, that's there just yeah. for me. Thank you. And, yeah. And, of course, the very next panel is all of the Watchmen oh, facsimiles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, I guess I should start with the thing that, the things that I'm a little more mixed on or not as keen on with this issue. Um, the first thing is that, this really is like playing into being what we were afraid it would be and that John said it wouldn't be, it seems, which is yeah. just punching heroes punching Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> um, so that's a little disappointing to me. Um, the other thing is a weird – I don't – I'm interested to see what you guys think about this. So Watchmen, a lot of it's centered on like – nixonian politics and use nixon as a figurehead for kind of like <laughs> the problems with government and and the specter the specter of government but like nixon was by that point several years removed from the presidency and they were able to kind of look on that in hindsight and and i, I mean i don't know i wasn't alive during a nixon presidency so i don't even really know what that like feels like brian was so brian <laughs> <laughs> but here without seeing trump it's clear it's trump he says huge several times <laughs> yeah. like yeah. he tells he, a story about a hot general he met yeah, yeah. 
He doesn't. It, he doesn't, but he might as well have. Yeah. Um, Basically, hugs a flag. <laughs> Buddy, they don't even let me. <laughs> Sebastian, Sebastian Gorka is in this. Sebastian Gorka yes, is in this yes, issue. Yes. Yes. Gorka! So, like... Mr. Watchman. <laughs> that already puts a... Like, any time... If I go back and read this 20 years from now, I'm going to think back to when Trump was president. You're optimistic he won't have installed himself as dictator for life by that point, so he's still. I'm going to think about when Trump was first president. Yeah, but, yeah, but you're going to think you're going to think. Well, this is a lot better than President Notch. So. Oh shit. <laughs> oh man. The, mi- the Minecraft guy. bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Zach, that's actually an interesting point. What I was going to say about that is, I had a similar thought about the Trump thing, which is. At the time that Watchmen was written, uh, uh, Nixon was sort of the the ultimate villain of U.S. politics. Yeah, where like he there was no no but Roger Stone would not have admitted to having a Nixon tattoo. You know, in the <laughs> mid '80s when Watchmen was coming out, he was he was this totally vilified. So it was it was fine to make him into the most evil version of himself. Because everybody pretty much already believed that he was that. And when I say everybody, I don't mean like 51% of the country feeling that way. I mean most of the country believed that he was a despicable person. And I I feel like it just – and look, nobody is more anti-Trump than I am. I'm not saying that Trump is a good guy, nor am I uh, Joe Biden saying Mike Pence is a good guy. I am just saying I just feel like it's a very different tone of political commentary – when you're talking about this universally decried criminal versus somebody who's unpopular right now. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. 100%. That, and that that gets at kind of what I'm feeling right I, now. I also don't think that this comic, like, yes, it clearly is supposed to be Trump, but I don't think they do anything in this comic to... He he doesn't really play much of a role, whereas Nixon was... Nixon played a role in Watchmen. Yeah. I don't think Trump is really playing a role here. You know what yeah. I mean? Trump's going to have a summit with Dr. Manhattan next time. <laughs> and they're going to meet on the moon. And there's neutral territory. Uh, no, I'm I've been here several times. It's, yeah. um, I love Dr. Manhattan. It's a love story. <laughs> he was he, he was a perfect man. I can't. <laughs> um, anyway, uh. I think I think that's fair, but I, I also kind of like when comics do that. That's something going back to – if we want to go back to uh, the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, as long as we're talking about that, coming – I don't remember if if they were in um, – if, if the president or anything w- was in uh, Crisis itself, but in the aftermath. Uh, in the Legends crossover that happened shortly oh, after Crisis. Craig is all over that shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's all so. kinds of political figures that, that fl- float in and out of the DCU <laughs> at that time. And it's it's really – I mean, when I read that, I don't think, oh, man, this takes – this uh, this comic takes place in a time or place or it's, uh, it's dated now. I mean, that's what serial storytelling is, and that's what happens when you have, you know – 
80 to 90 years of uh, comic history, right? I, I kind of like when comics do that. Was, I just was the Reagan in that, like, very, very clearly, like, like obviously he probably looked like Reagan, but did he sound like Reagan, too? Oh, it was Reagan. Yeah. I mean... It was, it was, it was flat. I, I guess I, I haven't read that, so, like, I just, like, don't know, like, how much they lay into it. Like, like, here they have Trump saying, like, oh, I've done more than Superman ever has. Like, that's yeah. just, like, such a clearly, like, over the... I mean, it's definitely something he would say. It's 100% him, but it's also just, like, so clearly like it's just too real i don't know so the one thing i, mean, I the one, it's sorry no. go ahead go ahead uh, i have one too raw i just it's too raw to fuck up. Uh, I, I just want to say that i feel like uh no matter what you think of any of this can we just all agree we don't want to remember remember who Sebastian Gorka is in 20 years? Like, can we just all say it would be nice to reread this comic in, uh, you know, in 2039 and be like, who's that guy's name again? Yeah. And we'll probably call him some name that's not really, is like, is that Michael Cohen? Like, just, you know, <laughs> you remember a name but can't put the face to it or whatever, so let's hope that's the case. Yeah. Oh. Well, the, uh, the good I, I guess is that his head in this comic is not nearly big enough, so that's... I you may read it and forget who that is, yeah. I, I guess um, just to close off my thoughts really quick, I mm-hmm. literally like everything else. <laughs> so, uh, first off, the thing that, I mean, yeah, the, the dialogue is very, very Trumpian. Uh, the one thing that keeps it from being completely is the fact that this first le- uh, first line is, uh, he says, I'll be giving up the biggest deterrent to foreign attack I've got, which is clearly not something Trump would say because that sounds like governing and <laughs> that motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. So everything else, yeah, 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 that's all, that's all him. So I was like, clearly this is an alternate universe, right? Anyway, um, but this was going back to something from the, from actually the last issue that continues into this issue for me is that this comic feels very 1987, to me, and I don't know exactly, like, I can't really put my finger on any particular thing, but it's things like, um, like you were, like Legends, like you were talking about. So then there's, um, uh, you know, Suicide Squad comes out of Infinite Crisis, and so you have Amanda Waller talking to Ronald Reagan about setting up Suicide Squad. So this, this mixture of, like, politics and uh superheroes feels very like john ostrander 1987 type of uh type of thing so you know and then maybe having firestar or not firestar firestorm show up prominently like last issue and then having like the russian equivalent mentioned sort of triggered some like 87 88 firestorm ostrander type of stuff but this I, I last issue and this issue feel very like post crisis, post legends. Yeah, I, and I don't know if any of you have. I mean, I know you've read that stuff, but I don't know if you would have sort of read it. No, obviously I, not in that context because you were a kid. Yeah, well, I was a kid too. Yeah, <laughs> I was just not that much old. I was just being born, I think, at that right. around that time. Um. Brian, I, I, I definitely got that vibe, Greg. I know what okay. you're saying. Um, yeah. Zach, one of my biggest problems with this issue is that... Well, the, how, how can I say this in a way that's not going to 
just made me sound like a prude. Like, there's <laughs> no there's no reason to have Guy Gardner swearing up a storm in this issue. <laughs> well, and, I think he's actually the only one who it would be okay for. That's but, why it, it didn't bother me yeah. so much. I don't disagree with that, but I just feel like this is just John's doing something for the sake of doing it. Like mm-hmm. there, there is no real reason to have that have that happen in this issue, and I feel like that that's indicative of a lot, lot of problems with Thursday Clock, where I feel like John's is doing things because he can, not because he should, and even the sort of overall conceit of this of bringing Watchmen into the DC universe seems like something that that. No one told Johns he couldn't do, but no one definitely, no one really talked to Johns about why he should or shouldn't do that. And that's mm-hmm. that's sort of my big problem with this issue overall. It just it feels like a lot of things that sure there's no reason why he shouldn't do it, but what does it really add to DC in general, Rebirth in particular, to have this stuff happen? Like I don't know if the revelation that Martin Stein planned the explosion that turned him into Firestorm. I know it makes sense in the context of Doomsday Clock. I don't know if that necessarily makes sense in the context of a greater Firestorm story. Well, you know, I mean, stuff, stuff like that, I guess it, is what I'm talking about. Is that even going to be the reality, or are we going to find that that's just another case of uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan moving the, moving the lantern away from Alan Scott? You know what I mean? Sure. Sure, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I thought that same thing, Brian, and I thought, ooh, I don't know about this, but, but then again, it's a means to an end for, for other other aspects of this story. So, um, Yeah, I didn't remember their relationship having, like, I didn't remember that being a thing, but then I was like, I don't remember their relationship being sort of contentious enough to kind of have that even be sort of subtextual. So I feel like that's pretty much just for this, you know, for this story. And then, yeah, maybe it's something that Dr. Manhattan tweaked. Part of the problem with this book also is just that the delays, anytime a book has delays and you're reading it monthly, it's problematic, right? But Mm -hmm. this in particular, like for instance, I don't think in the mainline DC stuff, Professor Stein and Ronnie are separate people, are they? And, like, did that happen in the context of Doomsday Clock? I can't remember, because the first issue to have them in it came out probably over a year ago. So it's hard to, to keep track of sort of what's Gosh, happening yeah. in in story versus what's supposed to be happening sort of all, all over. It's just, it, it's kind of a contextual mess when you're talking about a book that is that is this delayed. When was the last time we even saw Firestorm outside of Doomsday Clock? I don't remember. Uh, Justice League of America? Or am I... Me? Did he show up there? He was I pre, pre-Rebirth, I think. Oh. I, I think he might have shown up at Superman Day in Action Comics 1000. But almost <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But aside from that, I don't think we've seen him in a long time. You know, but but just – and I guess that, again, the, the, that's a minor quibble overall. But I just feel like because of the pacing of this book – and this is something that will obviously read better in trade just because when you read it in trade, you don't have to wait a year and a half to get through it. Uh-huh. It'll mm-hmm. be over two years, I think, right, when all is said and done to get through mm-hmm. a 12-issue story. Yeah. It, it's just – it's absurd. Um, yeah. I think yeah. – 
I, you know, this issue, this issue was the first one where it occurred to me that actually, I kind of think that this is going to be a timeless, um, story and that it doesn't matter. You know, I've been thinking about rebirth and how it relates or whatever. And I, I honestly think that this is going to stand alone pretty well when this is all said and done. And, and I, I thought the exact same thought. That's interesting. What, you thought that too? I had the exact same thought. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because there there is stuff like like your like questions you're bringing up about Firestorm or whatever, but I'm thinking, and of course the last three issues of this could prove me wrong, but I'm thinking that by the end of it, for for pretty much every major DC character, it's not going to matter, uh, what we see now, because by the end of it, it's going to. No character is not going to resemble a version of a character that we very much know as part of DC history. You know, nobody here is going to be altered so severely that that any other story is not going to make any sense. You know what I mean? Um, I I think I I think just seeing all these ships of characters flying in. Um, in all their little groupings, some of which we haven't seen in these arrangements or, or, or designs in years is an indicator that this is meant to just be a book that you can pick up and, and consider that it could be from basically any era or, you know, you, in your mind, you can fudge away a little bit, uh, this idea that, that it takes place in a specific time and place. Um, other than the fact that they give you, you know, the timeline at the beginning of the book, considering uh, uh, its relationship to the Watchmen stuff and, and, and how the beginning of this book very much takes place in that universe in a certain year. Like, really, this all very much feels to me like it's intentionally uh, the most classic versions of most of these characters that we're seeing, right? Yeah, Donna Troy's in, like, her red... Uh, like leotard outfit with the stars. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, this particular even, configuration of the Doom Patrol. Even um, just having someone like Elongated Man show up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, the the Robbie Reed Dial H for Hero. Um, where he's like Starfish Man or whatever his name is, like. No, nobody that has nothing to do with rebirth. We haven't seen Robbie Reed in in years, you know, and there's going to be that uh that Bendis Wonder Comics uh Dial H for Hero book coming out that I think the main character is not Robbie Reed, but I think there's something I think I read something about there will be references to Robbie Reed in it. But it's, you know, nobody knows who that is in in modern rebirth continuity, right? So I I really feel like this is just meant to be sort of John's la- maybe last stand to do a comic that stands alone that that brings all of these characters together in something that feels really massive. Who knows if he'll ever get the chance to do that again? You know, so um, from that standpoint, I really appreciated this issue a lot more than I have previous ones. Um, Zach, I have the same quibble as you about everybody's lining up to punch. Uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan, but I think I think if I'm being charitable to John's, the the little panel of him uh, or the the sequence of panels of him reconstructing himself very much using the same imagery from the old Watchmen 
where you see the the brains and the nervous system that um and he he ends up saying uh uh what what do you hope to accomplish or something or what are you trying to accomplish or something like that you know i think that's johns's way of saying like okay if you know obviously everybody would 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 try to fight dr manhattan but we're going to brush that aside and say like this is a fruitless thing and we're not going to do it again. And again, the next three issues could prove me wrong, but I feel like that's John's just saying like, we're not having that fight. We're not actually going to do that. And, um, and I hope it continues that way. Um, I think, yeah, my, my problems with this book continue to be not from like a moral, although there is, I mean, we could get into that, but we've said it all before. Um, I think I'm kind of past this idea that that Watchmen doesn't need to be touched. I think the thing I still struggle with is that I don't think Dr. Manhattan as written by Johns is quite right. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's not that John shouldn't be doing this stuff, but I don't think he gets it quite right. You know, like, like Moore just had such a, a way about him for writing these characters that it's really, unless you nail it and nobody's going to nail it, it's just not going to seem right. Um, but, but that aside, like the, the art is just tremendous. I think every character mm-hmm. looks great. Uh, Gary Frank never draws a character and you look at them and say, well, that's not, you know, these all look like, these all look like the characters are supposed to look like in very classic fashion. Um, and and I think even from an artistic standpoint, you can't pin this down to, I, I mean, other than the the quality of the printing and the inking and the and the coloring is, is so much better than it was decades ago. Like, it's very timeless art style, as well. Um, I, I think it's 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 gorgeous to look at and it's really easy to read at this point, especially since they've gotten away from a lot of the like. Ozymandias doesn't show up in this issue at all. <laughs> I, I think the further away it is from Watchmen stuff, even if it's never going to get entirely away from it, I think the better it reads. Because I just think Johns is so much better at writing all these classic heroes than he is at writing the the characters whose voices more develop so specifically. Um, so Agreed. yeah, I Agreed. like this a yeah. lot. Yeah. And I mean, it wouldn't be a John's event if Black Adam wasn't playing a huge role. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Um, Got I, I always, I always like Black Adam. He's the best. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I um, I didn't dislike this issue as much as I've disliked other issues, and part of that is just a function of this is the first issue that finally felt like a DC universe like universe wide events where it had like, you know, I'm a sucker for all these heroes coming together to do anything. So that sort of stuff I I will always pop for. Um, I guess I just, actually before I say that, I want to go back to something Vince said about this aging timelessly. I really think that this, this is the issue that sort of cemented this as being totally irrelevant to rebirth. And that's a good thing. I, I don't mean that as a negative thing. I think there was there was a lot of time when this was being considered like the Rosetta Stone to what's happening across the DC publishing line, and I think that it's 
it's a very good thing that this isn't being treated like that anymore. I think that the series will will lead better both today and in 20 years from now when it's not necessarily the keystone to so much of what else is going on in the DC universe. And I wonder how much of how much if any the DC universe will reflect the changes from this outside of new books popping up. Like, you know, if this does bring back the Justice Society, aside from us getting a Justice Society book, I wonder if any of the like internal machinations of this book will ever be referenced again, or at least referenced in the short term. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, probably. Well, maybe like what you were saying. So, like Justice Society, I could see us getting a Legion book out of this. Um, oh sure, stuff, yeah. Stuff, stuff spinning out of this, but yeah, well, I guess you're. It'll spin out of it, but it won't. It won't be necessary to have read it to really get it, and not much. Right. Not much within it will be referenced in the books that spin out. It, it, I really feel like it'll be like, "Hey, we're the JSA. We're here now. We don't have time to talk about why, but." Right. You know. Exactly. Right. Well, sort of like either the last time the JSA came out or the time before when they were stuck in limbo yeah. for, you know, centuries, aka a couple of years, and then when they came back, they're just like, yeah, we were in limbo for a while. Moving on. Boom. Probably, probably that type of, uh, you know, that type of treatment. Yeah, I would think. I also um, convinced just in the sense of the further Johns gets from trying to write. The more characters, the better this book gets, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Um, I I am trying to be more open minded with this book because I think I, I uh, if you're gonna bring back the Watchmen characters and do all that, I think it makes more sense to do so in a standalone, timeless thing that will sit on my shelf, on my crisis shelf, you know. Versus something that tries to bring them in. My big fear with this, and I think you had the same fear, Vince, was like that we were going to see new Rorschach as part of the DC universe now. And I think that with every passing issue, something like that gets less and less likely. I hope. It would be sort of interesting if the... uh, Maybe not all of them, but like some of the Charlton characters who we see on Mars like get killed and then having, or maybe just like the question and then having Reggie be like the new question. Like I could see that happening. Well, maybe the, the question shows up in another DC comic this week in it. But is that actually, I was going to say in an oblique maybe? kind of way. Yeah. In an so. oblique, yeah. 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 I thought about that too. That was just, but just sort of spitballing. Um, yeah. So, I'm sorry. Were you done? No. Before I, uh, go ahead. Go ahead please. Before I steamroll over it. Um, yeah. So uh, just the just the. I mean, I've said all sort of like the macro stuff, but just in terms of like the actual comic booking, um, the, the you know last issue and this issue particularly, the nine using the nine panel grid, uh, really helps in terms of pacing, um, and last issue. First of all, last issue may have been my favorite. It's certainly one of the best Superman comics I've read in a while. Oh, God. Oh, it was so good. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't get a chance to come on when you guys were talking about it, so I needed to, I needed to uh, 
just having Gary Frank have the Christopher Reeve Superman, which is sort of what he's basing it on, but then, you know, Superman with Firestorm and like Firestorm's, you know, like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, you're going to get hurt. And Superman's like, I'm not going anywhere. You know, like, I believe in you. Like, it was such a, as, as, yeah, John's and Frank just really get the core of, of, of Superman. And then later on in the issue, when you get into Moscow and all of these things are happening simultaneously, you've got, you know, of like a firefight breaking out and Superman's trying to stop that and Batman's on his way and the the use that that's when you have that's when having more panels allows you to bifurcate time and show you simultaneously all these things happening in a way that in a movie you're cutting from one to the other, so you're really only seeing one thing. But when you've got all of these panels on a page, you're literally getting hit by simultaneous oh shit moments like in one particular in one particular setting and that also plays in i mean it sort of played in kind of throughout i guess the series but certainly this issue towards the end you get into that uh again it really it, it's not it's not just like oh watchmen use nine panels we're going to use nine panels it, they really you know used it to great effect last issue and then even if you're going so if you're reading this in a trade and you're going from last issue to this issue last issue again it's all like quick cut quick cut quick cut panel 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 explosion but then you get into the beginning of this issue and you've got the justice league going to mars you have three or four pages of you know widescreen three panels each page just in terms of pacing that's you know having that type of uh real estate silent real estate devoted to those for a couple of pages Again, in some ways, it mimics the beginning of issue 12 of Watchmen, where after the explosion, you've got, you see New York as the, you know, the silent graveyard that it is. It's obviously used for a different point here, but it it gives you that pause and that sort of, um, unless you take a breath, you're obviously, it's a long way to Mars, even in the DCU. It takes a while. So this is sort of the, literally the calm before the storm in terms of, you know, panel layout, if not even just sort of, uh, you know, story um and you know frank uh again draws the hell out of out of all of this stuff um just trying to see if there's anything else in the issue uh another reason it felt very 87 to me uh dick guy gardner um in his sort of iron lantern suit which i guess he still sort of wears but it felt very um although uh his profanity was a little off-putting but it just seemed like they were doing it because they could do it they they totally could and it also reminds me because we're like 86 87 was when i was starting to read dc comics and i started reading justice league and occasionally dc comics would drop a hell or damn like more than marvel stuff so it just for me personally it's sort of it's sort of kind of touching that same nerve of having these particular characters who you think would speak a certain way and they go a little a little blue, no pun intended. Uh, it just you know it pushes that little button uh, for me. And if you were going to have any of them do it, it would be I feel like it would be you know Gardner, although maybe a little you know a, a little much in this particular uh, context. On page sixteen, though, I thought there was a nice um, uh, the middle of the page of the panel uh, where we're on we're on Mars. It's the heroes. Uh, it's a it's a uh, sort of a bird's eye shot 
you've got Manhattan in the bottom right and then the assembled heroes in the upper, or basically the rest of the panel. Um, it felt very crisis on Infinite Earths, like you were in the watch, not the watchtower, the um, the monitor satellite where Alexander Luthor sort of assembles all the heroes to tell them, like, shit is going down, you know? So in terms of visual stuff, I felt that was a nice little crisis nod there um, for an issue that's, you know, called Crisis. Um, and yeah, just, I, I really like, uh, you know, at this point I'm just sold on how the story is being told. Like I'm, I'm on board for these two creators, you know, giving us a, a crisis style sort of, you know, mini series with, for the, uh, the DCU. I think it's, you know, like you were saying, I think it's going to be a, uh, a stand, you know, relatively standalone, uh, type of thing and it'll be you know it'll be better for it but it's uh ah, it's, it's good it's good stuff i'm i'm super digging it i think so. this book also gets way better when you compare it to heroes in crisis which is these oh sort of like other yes. watchmen pastiche at the moment um yeah which is just garbage so this yeah. seems much much better because of that yeah do you do you agree with us, Greg, and how how much the book frustrates us? Um, I would if I read it more. I mean, <laughs> I do. Go. Fair enough. Uh, I'm still pissed that I read the issue that Lee Weeks did. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, Lee Weeks. Okay, I'll read this. And I'm like, oh, you, you, you got me on that one, Dan <laughs> and Tom and company. <laughs> Fool me, you know. But it was gorgeous. But I'm like, nah, I'm. Yeah, that that is it's frustrating, and I ultimately kind of don't care. I'd like not to care, I guess. The Lee Weeks art was really good though. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah, it's it, it's frustrating. So, um, yeah. any other yeah, uh, notes, boys? Not for me. That's all I've got. Um, yep. Do we want to take a quick break before we go into our rapid fires and our uh, final list? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Greg, do you want to stick around for our little rapid fires? Did you read other books this week? Uh, I read one other book, so yeah, I'll hang around. Okay, great. So yeah, we'll take a break. We'll be back in just a second with the exciting conclusion of this week's DC. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. All right, we're back um, to go through our list for the week. Um, a little sparse because we talked – there weren't as many books this week. Um, but on the good list, we have Super Sons. On the okay list, we have Harley Quinn. On the bad list, um, we have Suicide Squad, Black Files, um, which I guess I, I, in all fairness, I haven't read this book. <laughs> I just assume it's bad. Um, 
um on the it's not on good. the it's <laughs> the new age of heroes list we have brimstone pour one out and on the sandman list we have the dreaming let me just say one quick thing about the the curse of brimstone finale so i have not read this book in a few months but it seems that there's a whole lot of firestorm happening in this book actually uh, firestorm so, yes <laughs> so okay. there's there's a panel where Brimstone is is like talking to these two skeletons, and he says like Ronnie and Jason, I promise your deaths aren't in vain or something like that. Ooh. And I was like, what? wait a second, Ronnie and Jason, those are Firestone names. And then the villain he's fighting can transmutate uh, all organic matter, and like hmm. that's a lot of so so I, I'm wondering if there's a greater Firestone connection. Or if this was like building towards if it wasn't cast off the twelve issues, if it was going to go in that in that direction. So I don't know if it's just me missing the last few issues or it was setting something up that didn't happen. But I just find out that interesting, especially based on the uh Doomsday Clock Firestorm stuff. Huh. Well Well, we'll never know. <laughs> nope, we'll never know. Oh, I, I do want to say though, you remember how Sideways ended with, like, that kind of tease of the mom still being alive. Yeah. Curse of Brimstone ends with his sister now being Brimstone. So, like, it's some kind of ending, just a, uh, like, this story's over, or is it? Type thing. What, what a twist. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, going into our rapid fires, uh, first up, uh, we have uh, the female Furies. Um, I I don't have a lot to say about this book other than it's like the saddest thing I've read in a very long time. Yes, uh, this issue was not I don't think as effective as the first issue. If only just because it sort of retreaded so much of the ground from the first issue, but it was still it was still a, a visual delight with Adriana Mello's art, and I thought it was a good issue, just not maybe as great as the first issue was. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think it was as good as the at the as the first issue, um, just at being this relentlessly dark. Um, I mean, unfortunately, I have to, I have to say that it pro- this feels like it rings pretty true. I would guess uh, yeah. to, as if to, apocalypse wasn't sad enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, I I look at this just like situation that that Arlie can't get out of this abusive cycle, you know, and it just feels like. I could easily see people saying, well, this is way overdone or way overblown. But, like, imagine, like, it happens in, in real life, you know, all the time, more than we know. And, it, it, you know, in reading a comic, it may feel like a repetitive cycle to us, but it literally is a repeti- repetitive cycle of abuse in real life. And I'm, I'm impressed at the way the the comic goes there and dwells in that. And there's some really harsh uh, imagery and situations in this thing. And I think it's, you know, there's, there's, there's room on the stands for a book like this. So I'm, I'm glad it's being made. Um, and yeah, the, the, the mellow art looks incredible. So moving on to Deathstroke. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, this is the first issue of this new. Well, it's the prelude to the Terminus Agenda arc. Um, uh, this book is still 
still very, very good. I don't know if I can still quite say it's the best of the DC Universe books, just because I'm really loving some of the Bendis stuff, the Superman stuff, but it's still very, very high. Mm-hmm. Greg, are you reading Deathstroke still? Um, I have let it lapse uh, for actually quite a while now that I now that I think about it. Um, but I did flip through this or page through it, um, and it looked good. So um, this book I is, is so consistently it. excellent. Okay. Um, this issue in uh, in particular was it, it's uh, Priest is just so good at comic booking that he sets up a crossover without making it feel like set up at all. Hmm. And uh, that was sort of, and I, I know that really only the last few pages directly relate to it, but this issue sort of puts Slate in a position to be part of this crossover. And it's just so masterfully done. Hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I love that he continues to do with Slade is, um, you know, Slade Wilson is definitely not a good guy. Uh, he he's a bad guy, but in the context of his series, he has him do all these awful things, and then later you find out that they they're 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 maybe a few notches less awful than you originally thought. And he does that over and over and over again, and and he does it a couple times in this issue where like Slade will kill somebody or he'll like uh, like in the case killing these like like homeless people well they it turned out that they were alien you know or he thought they're aliens from pelorian or whatever um same thing with uh he he kills this 68 year old woman or at least people think that he did and then there's more complicated you know there's always like layers of setup and things like that where where Slade actually is sticking to this weird moral code or else he's been manipulated in some way where whatever he did wasn't really his fault, you know? <laughs> it's a it's a thing that Priest does over and over again in this book. And I it's so much comic booky fun to watch him contort the character in that way. Um okay. and then the, the other thing I want to mention before we move on is everybody check uh Forever Evil reference off yes. on, your, on your bingo cards. <laughs> When's the last uh, time we heard anything about Forever Evil? <laughs> I mean, it's the year of the villain, man. Oh, mm. it's true. You had to get it in there. That's right. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for this crossover. I, I'm excited to talk about it a little bit more um, in the future. <sighs> last thing, we saved the best for last. <laughs> Batman 66. Not, was, not to be confused not, with the Adam West series, Batman 66. Not to be confused. Oh, yeah. um, Sometimes you just can't get rid of a Batman writer. Yeah. <laughs> well played. Nice. Um, I kind of liked this. Well, it, say say who illustrated it because it did a great job. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, uh, Jorge Fornes, correct? Yes. Yes, yeah, which has been a, an up-and-coming fave for the DC3 cast for a little while now. Um, I, is, I don't have a ton the, to say about it, but it was it was good. This is the best of the Nightmares arc. Mm-hmm. 
by so so big of a distance, so large of a distance, it's it's <laughs> almost uh, comical to try and compare it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of Tom King bullshit in this book. Let's not kid ourselves. Sweat, but it, sweat and leather. Yeah, sweat and leather. I, also, I don't mind they, that. <laughs> sweat and leather. <laughs> Those are good. Two good things. Isn't that the name of your uh, cock rock cover band? <laughs> <laughs> nicely done thank you uh but you know there's there's a fair amount of tom king bullshit here but this issue handles it in kind of a nice way and it just feels to me like this whole nightmares arc is king trying to make something a bigger deal than it is i'm like eh eh but it's just the same issue over and over again. Yeah, it's all it's just like um, psychological exploration of Batman that really doesn't tell us anything we don't already know. Um, but I but I will say I liked this issue actually quite a bit. And and even a lot of it was to do with Tom King's writing. So I'm blowing I'm blowing kisses at Tom King right now. He can have some more if he keeps, you know, going along this path and 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 less of the. The uh, fart sniffy stuff that he usually writes, because um, I, I actually even liked lines like uh, "You're the answer." No, I'm the question. That was good. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I liked that. That was and a lot. I don't mind the sweat and leather. The the fact that Two Face uh, hired Selena for two million two hundred twenty two thousand dollars two hundred twenty two whatever yeah. you know. Lots of twos. Great. Yeah. Yes, great stuff. Uh, the only yeah. line I didn't like in the entire issue and i have to say it because it's so dumb is what's that thing he says i'm batman because i'm batman <laughs> and i thought like oh yes that classic batman phrase <laughs> we all know and love Bring, bring. <laughs> i'm batman because <does> batman <laughs> uh no but this was good and the the problem is is that there shouldn't be an entire arc of this psychological mind game shit that doesn't because really each of these issues and actually it was it was it was good fortune that it was broken up by that price crossover that Williamson yeah, wrote because crossover the price yep. because <laughs> um because it if I I mean it already felt reading three issues of this in a row already felt like overkill. If we would have read, because what is this, like a six-issue arc? It's a six-issue arc, yeah. Yeah. If there were six issues in a row like this, I mean, that's like the biggest jack-off motion I've ever seen in comics, you know? So at least there was a little something breaking it up. But but yeah, really, if, if the whole arc is going to be like this, I think that's overkill. Um, but this issue, in a vacuum, very much enjoyed. Um, that Fornis art... Really good. Big things. Big things in that guy's future. I was actually thinking about this arc today and how this would have been a really good, like, oversized annual called Nightmares, where it was like yeah, four ten-page stories that each touched these different things. That yes. would have been perfect, and you could see, like, all right, this is a stylistic departure because it's it's the annual – and it's just like whatever, and then move. We can move on to something else. But to do six or eight issues of this is just uh, horrid. Greg, did you read this issue? 
I actually did. Uh, and it, it reminds me that uh, I have really good luck in picking Batman issues to read. Because <laughs> I feel like the last one I really read was was the, uh, again, the Lee Weeks, the Cold Days yeah, yeah, yeah. arc. That was a great... Um, so, you know, I understand, like, I can see everything you guys are talking about. Um, if I had to read this book issue in and issue out, I would probably feel exactly the same way. Um, but, you know, part of me is like, oh, that wasn't, like, that wasn't bad. And the art, uh, I agree, it's really, really good. Uh, uh, Fornes does a really, really strong Mezzichelli, which... Oh, sweet spot. Uh, again, heavy ink, a little more, um, um, uh, I can't think of that, um, like graphic, uh, type of, uh, type of art, heavier line and stuff is apparently my, it's apparently my jam. Um, also, uh, this week had three Doc Shaner variant games. <laughs> Uh, for this, uh, Young Justice was the other one, and then Green Arrow. So thank you for inviting me uh, on a week where <laughs> I get to have that little, those three slices of loveliness. Um, but yeah, like I liked little, I like things in this issue. Like I like the fact the question was was here. I did like the line, "Are you the answer?" No, I'm the question. But a lot, and when we got a lot of panels where. Uh, somewhere around the middle of the issue, you'd have like three or four different sort of widescreen panels. And it's essentially, they're not the same panel, but they're from like the same angle. And they show, you know, one action happening basically from like a static point. So, you know, and so King will basically take almost like one panel's worth of regular narration or dialogue or sort of split it over three or four panels. And I'm like, I get to have more artwork and the artwork looks great, but fuck, can we like condense some of this stuff, you know? So yeah, I, I was like, I really liked the issue, but that sort of, okay, let's, let's move on a little was starting to build, even getting through this issue. I can't imagine having to read 65 issues. Of the <laughs> row, uh, or, you know, 60 something. Cause I guess a couple were Josh Williamson, but like having to go through that, it's not that he's not a good writer. It's not that he doesn't know how to do stuff. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see how somebody who can do other comics so well, or can be so successful in other stories, has a clear blind spot for what is not working for Batman. You know, so like, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, friend of the show like that boggles and... that boggles my mind that. You know, you can see one and not the other. Right. But, yeah. Anyway. Uh, for friend of the show and uh, spoiler alert, next week's co-host, Matthew Malikov, is a huge fan of Tom King's Batman, which is I'm mad he's not coming hmm. on on a Batman week to. Uh, I thought that was by design. No. Did it, did it, did it. <laughs> um, but, you know, Matt showed me a tweet from somebody recently who basically and I think Vince, I think you and I have talked about this maybe as well. Maybe it was actually on the show. Come to think of it, it was all three of us. Anyway, it's like I just read Batman number I'm making sixty one. Then I went back and read thirty eight. Then I read forty two. And like he's weaving a web, man. And Matt was like, I like these books because when you read them more, you get more out of them. And I said, like, well, that's fine. I'm all for reread value, but there's a difference between something that is good and then you reread it and it's really good, 
versus something that sucks, and then you take it in a new context, and it's okay then. Like, I don't want to have to read my books in different order to get the intended story and to make it not suck. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like King is, if he is weaving this intricate web that is meant to show us all this, like, overarching bigger story, but then you have to do that issue by issue, or I'm just not going to give a shit about it. Yeah, I don't even, I find it hard to believe that it actually makes the comic even okay or good. I think people are just noticing things and it makes them feel uh, like they're in on something, you know, but I don't, it's not going to change the way that I feel about about the storytelling, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't believe it. It's a little, I was not shocking, but it's, 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 it's bizarro in some ways that you can have an issue of green arrow be so goddamn good. And an issue of Batman being not, I mean, even though this was like a, this was like a good issue, but in terms of like how, you know, the, the team handling green arrow is so feels so much better than the team handling Batman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if you had if you had art aside if, if if you had the Green Arrow team handling Batman even giving them the same beats just in terms of like you need to hit this you need to hit this you need to hit this they could you know do it in a reasonable time span I feel I don't know I don't know how King is able to say I'm doing a hundred issues of this and they'd be like cool like is he that I know he's popular like i know he has clout but that's like some i feel like that's some like scott snyder level i'm i'm pulling my card here and scott snyder earned that shit with everything he's done you know like well maybe not before that but like he had he earned that i don't know how king is able to to get away with it but i i'm shocked that that he's still able to sort of do this unless like they just figured the backlash of of trying to sort of rein it in since he like called this shot so early that they were just like look we're just going to let him do it you know that that's a really interesting conversation to have um about king i feel like at least the the three guys who are on this show every week all of us sort of fell in love with the omega men all of us liked his grayson run he did with tim seeley i know i really enjoyed the vision but, yeah. but all of those things were sort of um, like very self-contained stories, mm-hmm. and they were telling what I think can be considered slight stories. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that the stories were not meant to be earth-shatteringly huge. They they mm-hmm. had a lane that they were comfortable in, and King executed them well. I think because he did that, they bumped him up to the big time. And I honestly think that people are so obsessed with a dark Batman that by having this even more brooding, even more death-obsessed Batman, that's just giving the people what they want to a certain degree. Um, But that's an area where I Mm. think that I greatly differ from the average Batman reader. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, I'll pick up another issue in eighteen 
months. <laughs> you know, 18 issues down the road, and I'll be like, oh, this is pretty good. I should go back and read. And you're like, mm, well, it must no. be done by then, so. Yeah. <laughs> From your lips to King's so. ears. <laughs> oh, man. Right. Vincy, do you have the comic list? I've got it. Yep. You want to oh, tell us what we've got coming up next week? Yeah, I actually <laughs> just texted it out like, right when you it said up. that. I have it open. But, uh... Go for it, Brian. All right, so we get, uh, speaking of Scott Snyder, the Batman who laughed, the Grim Knight, number one. Uh, Cat- Eduardo Rizzo. Uh, Catwoman, cover, uh, Flash 66, Hawkman, uh, the official DC3 cast way, um, <laughs> Justice League Dark, Pearl, Red Hood Outlaw, I believe the penultimate Scooby, Scooby Apocalypse. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, we should we should totally have to read the final Scooby Apocalypse, by the way. All right, it's a deal. Uh, <laughs> uh, Supergirl, Superman, Titans, Wonder Twins, and Wonder Woman. It's a big week. It's a big week. Oh, that uh, Wonder Twins. Okay. Greg, thank you so much for joining us this week. This was a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, it was it was a blast. It was uh, hopefully not wait another year and change yeah exactly. uh, to uh to do it again but you know schedules and and also and, uh, and everything we always find it's a bit um it's a lot to ask people to read as much as we read every week so yeah you know. yeah i i don't know i mean i always say like i don't know how you guys do it but even like hey you just need to read five comics even that <laughs> and then talking about them like rapid fire like this to this to this to this i mean i took notes and yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's 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 tough. So hats off uh, for that. Also, I I got a chance to uh, congratulate Vince on this, but since you guys are all uh, uh, assembled, congratulations on the Watchmen commentary, <laughs> making it through that the, that thing. Uh, I listened to it over the span of like a week and a half. I think I listened to it in the car in 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 chunks. It was. Uh, uh, it was a, a interesting <laughs> companion to. Uh, it, it, it's better than the. It's better than the movie. It, uh, you know, uh, it is attached to. Too so, kind. Again, yes. So so thank thank you on behalf of, well me. Tens of people Yeah, yeah, tens of tens of people. So, uh, yeah, no, this is this is always fun. Tell us about your podcast and where folks can find you on the internet outside of that. Uh, so I probably should have prepped this a little better. Um, so I am a co- <laughs> I don't usually have to do this. Uh, I'm a co-host of a uh, podcast with uh, Mike Romeo on Multiverse State Comics uh, called Robots from Tomorrow. We are twice a week, each and every week. Uh, Mondays are a hopefully shorter pull list episode. Where we talk about what's coming out in the week uh, that we're excited about. Thursdays tend to be longer uh, deep dives into material or going through the previous catalog. Uh, this week. Yeah, I don't actually know what's going to be happening, but we're going to be—it's uh, going to be him and I uh, talking about comics. Um, you can find me uh, either you can email me at greg at multiversitycomics.com or a, very occasionally I'm on Twitter at Greg Matasevich, uh, G R E G M A T I A S E V I C H, and yeah, I think that's I think that covers it. Yeah, you can find uh, two thirds of this show on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. And I'm at Wilker Fox. If you, if you want to get a hold of me, you can you can find me in the comments section on CBR's article titled "Suicide Squad: Two Villains That We Want Confirmed and Four We Don't." 
<laughs> I was going to say, you can find Vince uh, playing bass guitar and singing backing vocals in sweat and leather this Saturday night at the Caboose <laughs> in Minneapolis on Cedar Avenue, opening up for 38 Special. So, uh, 18, 18 uh, plus only. So. 18 plus, yes. And please, when you go in, tell them you're there to see sweat and leather. That that, that helps out with their cut of the door. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks again, Greg. And we'll see you guys next time. Night quill and jacking off.